You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered ChumbaCasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From Shakespeare to Schwartz, from Fosse to Alvin Ailey, from Sondheim to Borellis, from McNally to Faye, it happened to the greats, it still happens every day. When lightning strikes. You know when lightning strikes where you're meant to go. You can stand and shout your eager, do whatever you like. You'll never forget the moment when lightning strikes. Hi, this is Gerald Brunner, and you're listening to When Lightning Strikes, where we talk about the heart thumping, tingly, mic drop moment that led you to becoming an artist. My guest today is the exceptionally talented singer, songwriter, musician, Krista Detour. Here's some of her music. In the northern sky there is a winter swan Made of enough bright stars to wish upon And I am wishing for more than I dare say I am sitting with a book upon my knees Somewhere above me are sisters, the Pleiades They're arising, a Christmas tune to play And I am wishing for more than I dare say I am counting the numbers, one to ten Tracing the letters when I learn them then I'll read every tale that you will write for me The shape's so curious, still such a mystery But I will learn them all no matter come what may Cause I am wishing for more than I dare say Rolling Stone magazine calls Krista Detour's soul-nourishing music a small miracle. Her solo albums have reached national and international prominence on the Euro-Americana and folk and independent music charts. She was one of the few artists to perform in the Emmy-nominated TV concert Wilderness Plots for PBS where she wrote and sang songs inspired by the book Wilderness Plots by American College of Arts and Letters inductee Scott Russell Sanders. Krista has performed extensively throughout the United States and Europe. She has been commissioned to write musical theater and choir pieces around the world, from the Indiana Arts Commission to the U.S. Department of State in New Delhi. Krista lives with her partner, David Weber, who created Airtime Recording Studios. Most recently, they established the 100th Hill Artist Residence and Retreat in Bloomington, Indiana. The 100th Hill recently hosted the Emerging Theater Residency, where NYU graduates are creating two new theater pieces, which are being staged socially distant at the 100th Hill. Welcome, Krista. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. I'm so happy to connect with you today. Uh, I'm so thrilled that you are helping to bring live theater, safe live theater, to the world, that you are helping to birth that. 
I feel I feel honored to be part of it. I feel uh, I feel honored to be able to do it. And just happen to be in the right place at the right time. Well, we'll we'll get to all that. There's so much to talk about. Can we talk though about your lightning strikes moment when you knew you had to be an artist? Well, I think for me it was when I was about four years old, and I was at a babysitter's house, uh-huh. and the babysitter's husband worked for Mattel, a toy company. And he brought in this old, um, I mean, he brought in this little toy organ and sat it down on the floor. And I looked at it and it had little, little dotted colors that matched dotted colors on a sheet of paper. And I realized that the colors corresponded to, to notes, musical notes. And I started to play it. And I remember thinking that I had found home. It's beautiful. Can you talk about that, that feeling of finding home? What was it that gave you so much joy in that moment? I think it's hard. It's, it's so funny. I have not thought about this. I've not thought about this until you've asked me. So this is, this is an amazing, um, it's an amazing minute for me. I, I remember looking up at the paper and um, and realizing that there was this entire world, this entire invisible world that could be brought into form if you knew where to put your fingers and you knew how to press down on these keys. And I was so enchanted with that idea that I played every single day that I went there, every single day at my babysitters, I played all the way through the little song book that accompanied this little organ over and over and over to such an extent that my babysitter got annoyed as you might imagine after a while. Um, But I remember thinking to myself that this was a world that was solely and completely mine. I had complete control over this place and this plane, and I could do and speak and play whatever I wanted. And it was absolutely outside the purview of, of any other adult in my life. I think, I think there's a measure of safety in that, you know, in, in, the, in the turbulence of childhood and the uncertainty. So, but I remember that moment being, I can express myself here. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to, has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. That's beautiful. Do you remember one of the first songs you wrote? I remember the very first song I wrote. Um, ah. I I dabbled, of course, in all kinds of things. Um, I started writing, I started writing bad poetry, bad nine-year-old poetry when I was nine, <laughs> and and I had books and books of poetry, books of little rhyming phrases and things like that. So the writing part for me preceded the actual putting the words to music part. So I had a, I always had a big love affair with reading and an especially a big love affair with poetry, but the music, adding, putting those two things together started the first time when I was 14, I wrote a song called Never What I Seem, which is pretty much exactly as you might imagine it, um, a 14 year old's 
uh, foray into identity and uncertainty and knowing that every single thing that I felt at 14 years old was the deepest, most profound, most special feeling that anyone had ever felt. And that's what that song is. Do you remember any of the lyrics? If you don't, that's okay. That's a oh, on the spot. I was so sad to say that I remember all of the lyrics. <laughs> uh, what are some of the lyrics? <laughs> yeah, we say Let's God see. is in the details. <laughs> <laughs> or I say God um, is in the details. <laughs> yeah, God is in the details. And so is the devil, right? Yes. Um, so it opened with... Um, Maybe I'm a watercolor painting in a gallery done in flowing shades of black and white. And maybe I'm an old man sitting on a park bench with hands as cold as ice and eyes as black as the very blackest night. And maybe I'm your dream. Look closely because I'm never what I seem. (laughs) Fourteen? You wrote that? (laughs) (laughs) Wow. What were your dreams like? My God, that's beautiful, Krista. <laughs> Thank you. Gosh. There's something about, <laughs> right about teenage, you know, about you know, struggling because they have a crush on Donny Osmond or, or Led Zeppelin or David Cassidy. I'm dating myself. But anyway, <laughs> so how did, that's extraordinary. So how did you get from writing this these poetic lyrics to birthing them into the world can you talk about that trajectory i i i grew up in a in a pretty uh pretty conservative kind of midwestern family and you know from really really kind of salt of the earth um folks but people with not a ton of emotional language. And so I didn't really have an outlet, I think, for all of the, um, for the uh, kind of oversized romantic that my little soul popped out into the world as. There wasn't really any kind of platform for me to discuss how I was feeling really at any given point in time. I mean, my mother had dabbled a little bit in poetry, but she, you know, she wanted to paint um, and she wanted expression, but I, I but I don't, I don't think it was very easy for her. And my father was, of course, you know, like, I don't know if you remember the wonder years that, um, that uh-huh. great TV sitcom, uh, not sitcom, but the little TV drama. Uh, he was the wonder years dad. You know, he was short sleeve button uh, up, went to work every single day, support your family, yeah. make sure there's money in the bank, that kind of guy. So yeah. I I had a lot to say and I was feeling a lot and I didn't I didn't have really any other way to express it, you know, this kind of passion, this sort of passionate connection that I had to the world. And so music music became I don't I don't think of it as a lifeline music became my descriptor I I thought of myself very quickly as musician before I thought of myself as a human being I thought of myself as part of the fabric of music and that is how I described myself and you know, 25 years of lots of therapy and, and lots of investigation and soul searching and all that. I, I'm sure it was a, a type of survival, of survival mechanism in a way to kind of mm-hmm. find something larger than life to define myself as, you know, to sort of escape how, how difficult yeah. life can be for sensitive souls. <laughs> <laughs> So can you talk about sort of how you got to be a recording artist and how that happened in your touring life? Yes, of course. I know that. Um, yeah. Well, 
I started recording. I recorded that song when I was 14 and, and on like a cassette deck and um, played it for a couple of friends of mine, you know, and everyone was so impressed, uh, which was very, very validating. And I felt, I felt like I had expressed myself in that minute. I felt like I had uh, said exactly what I was trying to say. And there's something really, you know, for writers and, you know, you're, you're a wonderful writer. Those minutes where you actually do say what you intended to say are so profound sometimes, right? So salient. And so that validated that I could write songs and I just kept going from there. And, you know, I tried to write pop songs and I, I, I went about it in different ways, but I knew in my heart of hearts that I wanted to write music and record it just really shortly after that first song. I had also begun singing, you know, I was singing, I was singing harmonies really early when I was young. Um, two grandparents on either side of my, my family, uh, my biological family are singers, were singers. And so I came by that very naturally. And uh, people, you know, people told me I was talented and I played piano and I sang and um, I don't know, it all came together and it all came together and sort of, uh, I don't even remember the flash. I just, as for as long as I can remember, I just knew that's what I would do. Uh, what's fascinating is that at 14, you had the wherewithal to record a record. How did you know? I mean, and you didn't come from the background. How did you know how to get a, a record out there? Well, I, it was it was really only just I really only just recorded you know myself playing the piano on a little cassette deck. So it didn't turn into anything like that until the next year when. A friend of mine told me I should enter this regional talent competition. And so I went to this talent show and I played the song and I sang it. And um, there, was a, there was a producer in the audience who essentially came up to me afterwards and, you know, with one of those, hey, kid, I'm going to make you a star kind of minutes. And, um, and then he kind of took my hand and we put the recording down in a, in a much realer way in a studio and, um, and things, you know, things move forward from there, but yeah, it's just, I showed up in a talent show. <laughs> a talent, where was the talent show? Well, I grew up in Torrance, which is, uh, one of the South suburbs of yeah. LA. And so, uh-huh. yeah, it was like a, it was like a, a Los Angeles based talent show. And how did you, so how did you start touring and you know, how did that piece of your life happen? You were recording regularly and touring and how did that come about? Well, while well, I'm thinking about this, it's, I, think, I think it's all been the series of either kismet or accidental, accidental happenstance or, but I, I moved here to Bloomington and uh, Bloomington, Indiana, which is where I am now. Where I live, and I intended to just put down all of the songs that I had written over the years, uh, over you know a twenty-year span, and I intended to just put them all down, and uh, then move out of Indiana and move to the Pacific Northwest and and proceed with something more like, um, I don't know, responsible, responsible employment. I had been struggling, really struggling with the arts for a long time and, and trying to make good decisions, you know, being a mother, trying to make the best decisions for my daughter. Um, but being constantly, constantly dogged by music and feeling like I really had to follow it. So I came here and I intended to sit down and put together a demo um, just a basic recording, a record of all of my songs. 
And I happened to walk into Airtime Recording Studios where David, who is my husband and a husband for many years now, was sitting at the console. And I laid down a few of these songs and he looked at me and said, have you got more music? And I said, yeah, I've got lots. And he said, I really think you need to make an actual you need to make an actual real album and we need to get some other musicians in and I would like to produce this. And so that's what we did. And then we produced this album called Mud Show, which was, uh, uh, was a, essentially something that I did in seven days. I, I, did, I gave myself a challenge of trying to write an album in seven days and see how I would, how the art would shift, how I, how my writing would shift if I had an extremely tight deadline. And I ended up with an mm-hmm. album that was one of my best works. I think that ended up getting into the hands of uh, record labels in Europe and ended up on the uh, number one position on the Euro Americana folk chart. And Within a matter of three months of releasing the album, I was touring Europe. That's extraordinary that that David saw that and inspired you to create more. So, can you talk about your writing process? Because your songs come from such a deep, soulful place. As a listener. I am so connected to the words. They're poetic. So I wondered about the process. Also, the music is so lyrical and beautiful and soothing, sometimes rousing. Uh, <laughs> so how, how does that process work for you? Wow. Oh, well, well, thank you for saying all that. I Thank you. I, I, it's funny. It's, it's not, it's not always the same, but I would say generally speaking in exactly the same way that songwriting came to me to begin with, the words often are the first jumping off point. So I might pen an entire lyric start to finish before it it ever sees a melody and there are times when it might take me a while to find the melody that matches the words, that actually speaks the words. There are also times when there will be a riff or a melody line or a single phrase accompanied by a melody that rolls around in my brain and pesters me sort of incessantly. Um, and generally, before I was touring, and before putting it out, putting out an album every year or two years became part of being in business. Um, it was really just a matter of inspiration, and it was a matter of uh, if I if I caught the tail of a song. You know, uh, Tom Waits and other writers talk about songwriters talk about it in this kind of. There are these minutes when you actually. It's almost like you can actually physically see a song floating in the air in front of you. And if you don't grab it, you will never get it back. If you don't grab it, it will go on. And I've even heard Elizabeth Gilbert talk about story ideas that way. I heard a podcast where she was talking about that, how these ideas are sort of actual tangible palpable entities and they will float to another person. And you, and you don't get yes. to speak them. Right? <laughs> yeah, that's carpe diem. I feel that way yes. <laughs> sometimes. Right in those miracle right. moments. Yes. Uh, yeah. Yes. So that's Grab the process. Is, the process is a com- yeah, the process is a combination of of grabbing the song out of the air, if you, as you see it in front of you, or having it whisper you know, just a line or two that you, um, that start a process of you 
developing it from a different kind of place. So there's not a single technique or a single methodology. Um, sometimes it is somebody else's song, somebody else's movie, somebody else's painting, somebody else's sculpture that will wake something up. And then there's a song. So it's, uh, it's mystical. I call it when it hits, when the lightning strikes, I call it burning in the holy pipeline. Because you stand there and, oh, and yeah. literally it always feels like channeling something that's, that is just coming through you. I know, I know people disagree about that, artists, but that's how it is for me. Listen now, there comes a call. Seems I was the bell of a ball. I left a shoe behind me and somebody came to find me. Now I carry on behind a wall. Do they mark? You want to talk about wilderness plots for PBS because sure. it's such a fascinating project collaboration with you and Scott Russell Sanders, where you took his short stories right, about the hardship of creating um, the of of the pioneering life of the hardship of the pioneering life in Indiana. Right and um, and what that meant to people, but I'll let you tell it how that all happened. Well, Scott Russell Sanders is uh, you know he's an incredible author and he is um, he is Indiana's um, you know he's Indiana's laureate. He is he is one of our finest writers, and he wrote a book called Wilderness Plots, which was essentially just character studies and short story compilations of material that he was gathering for a larger novel. But the short stories themselves are so, so well written that um, I was in a songwriting group with a friend of mine, Tim Grimm, and Tim brought the book to the group and we would do prompts for each other, you know, and we would meet once a week and mm. prompt new songs and might be, you know, write a song about food, write a song outside of your genre, write a song about your childhood, you know, write a song about the war, whatever, just things to get your brain kind of kicking in a different way as a creator. And he brought this book. And at first I, I really was, I was really not interested because it's, it's difficult subject matter. It's the settlement of, of the Ohio River Valley, you know, which of course means the, the participation in the genocide of the Native people that were here. And Scott doesn't pull any punches. You know, those stories are there. And the reality of the harshness at every level for, for both cultures is there. And, you know, for the animal kingdom, for everything. And I didn't want to do it. I, I was very resistant. And Tim talked me into it. And I thought, well, that's fine. I'll throw a song at this and then I'll be done with it. And so I wrote a group song for all of us to sing because I thought that would be, you know, that's fun. It's lighthearted. I don't have to have an emotional investment in in this subject matter, which is very difficult, very, very difficult. Mm. And, um, and the songs that came out of it in that first round were amazing. You know, Carrie Newcomer is another one of the sing uh, one of the singer songwriters that was in the group. Mm. And Carrie's, Carrie's got, a, you know, a big following in the um, folk spiritual world here in the U S and, um, amazing songwriters to begin with. Michael White, Tom Osnowski, great guys, wonderful, 
the songs were so good that, that Tim said, let's write another round. So we did. And I, then I was much more invested. And then he said, how about one more and we'll do an album? And we did. So then we started putting the album together and then Tim got a hold of Scott Russell Sanders and said, do you want to be a part of this album project that we're doing? Maybe come and read some stories at an album release. And Scott was so engaging in his narrative and such a wonderful speaker that all of a sudden a stage show developed. It began developing. And as the stage show developed, the quality of it was so good and everything felt so um, organically, uh, organically just like wonderful. Like we'd hit this very sweet spot and local, our local PBS station got wind of it and wanted to come in and sort of document it as it was happening. And as they witnessed it, they said, no, this is, this needs to be much bigger than this. And they did, uh, they did an entire special, which was then picked up by PBS national in many, many, many national markets all over the country, which was then followed by a second live performance PBS special that was also picked up by all kinds of markets. So it was, it was a, an amazing, wonderful experience. I mean, PBS was just fantastic. It's so wonderful. And another amazing experience of, that is happening right now is the 100th Hill and the artist residence and retreat that you created with David. Can you talk about that, how that all came to be? Because it's really beautiful how you are helping to birth live theater. Oh, well, well, thank you. I, it's another one of those okay. right place at the right time or... Uh, just this, the, this, this minute where, in in so many ways, because of COVID, it was a perfect storm. But uh-huh. because of COVID, my any touring for me shut down in February, and I'm usually in Europe or the UK every year, one of the two of them, and I go back and forth, and some national touring too, and everything shut down all at once. And I thought, well, you know, this would be a good time, I suppose, to write. But I had been really in a very, very difficult place since 2016, I think, like a lot of a lot of people, and specifically women yes. in the country, I was having a very, very hard time finding kind of... Uh, meaning and relevance and kind of anything outside of outside of the what seems to be this this ongoing epic battle and when covid hit i i thought that might be the minute that i would begin writing again because i had really kind of stopped since 2016 but my niece showed up from NYU and she had lost the chance to do her her senior show uh, along with all of her classmates, she would have graduated in May of this year. And she showed up to just drop a few boxes off because she was basically kind of driven out of New York, no way to graduate, no way to make a living. Um, everything was shutting down at that time. It's when it's when COVID was ravaging the city. And she came through and um, and her mom joined her. And we were just sitting around one night before they left to go back to California. And, you know, um, this idea, she said, you know, I don't know when I'm ever going to be able to make theater again. I I just, I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know when any of us are going to be able to do anything again, any real live theater. And she was talking about the difficulties of Zoom theater and all of the new trajectories and the new paradigms that are developing. But, you know, in the growing pains everyone's in the growing pains part of theater as we respond to the world right now and it just sort of organically happened in the conversation you know well what if what if it could be done in what context could be done it could be done in this rural space we could do this outside i had seen the circles in the grass at central park and I thought, okay, people are responding. They're making socially distant entertainment possible. 
we have here at our artist residence, we've got like 40, almost 50 acres of this beautiful wooded area, but with a large open expanse of, of a field. And it's something that David and I have been developing for three or four years. And, you know, I don't exactly even know why. I feel like it's a field of dreams situation. Sometimes you just follow, sometimes you just follow the still, the still small voice. You follow the thing that is the, is a bright idea out on the landscape. And I just thought if we build this, if we build this, they will come. And that sounds so cheesy, but it, played over and over in my mind and selfishly I wanted the hundredth hill because I wanted the inspiration of other artists because I felt a little bit like I had I was kind of burning out the my my own my own statements and my own limited format you know my own kind of you know, the, the, the tracks that I run consistently, I was feeling like I wanted to break out a little bit and having other artists around seemed like a wonderful idea. But this minute, this COVID minute, solidified everything. And I had been slowly making kind of small bets along the way, bringing in an artist here or there, but nothing actually, actually establishing the place. I was just feeling it out. And we came to the end of that conversation and we, we said, this can happen. This can happen. If you've got, if you can bring your classmates in here and now we can safely quarantine you, quarantine you away from each other to begin with COVID test, everyone quarantine everyone. When you get here, you'll, you'll, you won't leave for the two months of a residency and you can create theater safely here and then bring it to an audience safely. And we can set it up socially distantly outside, strict COVID rules, and the whole thing snowballed from there. And within six weeks, I had nine NYU residents sitting here with me. Creating theater that they wrote, is that correct? They Yes. So one of the, the one of the pieces was yeah one of the one of the shows Children's Crusade by Scott Huffman was going to be his senior project. Um, he brought the piece here. Obviously, he wasn't even able to develop it there. Um, it was written, as I understand it, it was written. So he has developed it here since August first with it with the entire cast of people that are here, and then. The other project, Ghost Tape Number Ten by Kendall Salampa, is a devised piece. So she had been kind of contemplating this, this extremely, um, this extremely intriguing Vietnam War story concept um, for a long time. She'd been percolating it, and she brought it here, and has been. It it is now a devised a formed fully formed devised piece that she has created in conjunction with the artists in residence children's crusade um, by scott huffman is based on the uh uh the children's crusade true story that did happen um 13th century i think a group of children went to find the holy land they were essentially trying to trying to save the world and you know that the that initial story is, is is fairly tragic but this is a kind of a modern take on it and it's this group of children set off for exactly the same purpose you know to find the holy land to find meaning they're a kind of a ragtag bunch of kids from either broken or, or very challenging childhood situations and they they run off in search of in search of hope and definition and something that it's something that is better than the lives that they're living. And so we just sort of follow them along that journey and it's absolutely wonderful. And then ghost tape number 10 by Kendall Salampa and the, and the residents is based on a, this haunting and horrible um, ideological warfare 
campaign that the U.S. actually did set in play in the jungles of Vietnam during the war, um, where they played on the fears of the of the Vietnamese soldiers, because there's a there's a, a um, you know a traditional cultural belief that if if you die not in your homeland, if you die not uh, not away from your people and away from your home and you are not buried or taken back to that place that you are uh, condemned to walk the world in torment for eternity. And so the government essentially created these haunting and horrible ghostly tapes, these recordings with Vietnamese voices and these, these, terrifying sounds and they played them from helicopters into the jungles and they played them um you know outside of encampments and trying to essentially break the will of the enemy and so you know these are these are stories that i both of these stories i feel like are absolutely salient expressions of what the what young people are are grappling with right now you know they're grappling with meaning they're grappling with horror they're grappling with the the ends justify the means of of our of the essentially of the you know of the kind of corporate military industrial power grab that's happening all around us and and they are responding from their point of view from the place that they're at and they are responding to the world as they see it and both both of these expressions are so beautiful you talk about the joy of giving a place for artists to perform and you said it was very healing you talk more about that what that's given you or what was unexpected Uh, i am absolutely yeah especially now i am i am so beyond grateful for having made the decision and there have been extremely difficult minutes in it because there just are you know first off you get any group of artists together and that includes my husband and me you know um artists tend to be pretty passionate people and and put a group of artists together in a plague you know um uh you're, it's, it's, it can essentially, you know, it can be a, it can absolutely be a pressure cooker, but my father always said pressure makes diamonds. And I have seen that happen so frequently in the arts and I've experienced it myself. So it, 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 it never deterred me, but I, I have to say the, I've been, I feel immeasurably lucky that I have had this focus over the last two months or two and a half months, really, I've had the focus of how is it that I'm going to provide space, provide inspiration, provide the actual substructure to produce a show, provide um, the everything, everything that, you know, the basics, the basic provisions and and then provide audience and interest and funding. It's kept my my imagination completely focused. And any time that I am not kind of um, running around questioning myself and my motives and doing all of those uh, kind of utterly self-involved things that artists can do from time to time, <laughs> I feel lucky. And so, and and especially in such a scary time of the world, it's been, it's been so good because it has solidified my solid, fervent belief that art is the answer. Art allows us to imagine the possibilities for ourselves. It can, it allows us to imagine what our survival looks like. It, It allows us to imagine being bigger than ourselves and and being united um, in, in beauty, it allows us to imagine 
the the actual transformative power of love and um, and and hope and it art gives us art is the thing that we need specifically right now and I felt strongly about that before this project but I feel absolutely solid in it now I feel like if we devoted ourselves each of us if we could devote ourselves to some semblance of art every day I think we could shift the trajectory for ourselves as a as a, as a species as a nation I think there I think it tends yeah, to get yeah. it's gotten so sidelined over the years into this area of of fluff and esoterica and not what is needed to make a, a strong nation world community but having lived in the community I live in for as long as I have where art is the substructure it is the fundament it, it is it, it is the netting and the weave um, I know the power of it and I'm I'm absolutely absolutely steely solidified in that now at one of your recent concerts for uh is a live stream right concert for the lotus festival you talked about and i'm paraphrasing here that if we don't have the arts you know what do we have right is that what you said and i'm yeah and even and even i was you know paraphrasing um paraphrasing a, a quote that I, I remember from somewhere in my childhood, but um, it was essentially at the beginning that the arts in America began to be defunded. Somebody saying, but if we don't, if we don't have art, what is it that we're fighting for? If all we're doing is funding yes. the military industrial complex, what, what are we fighting for? If we don't have the, the expansive beauty and the, potential and possibility that art gives us what are we fighting for and especially having spent so much time in europe knowing at least in past years and hopefully continually the value that europeans have placed on art in their at the budgetary level at the national budgetary level um, other cultures understand the importance of it and Maybe because we're such a young culture, it's been harder for us. But if we don't, if we don't have that, there's, then we're nothing. Then it is nothing but war for war's sake, and that's not sustainable. For people who might not know about Bloomington, it's it's such a an incubator for the arts for artists. You talk about that. That I mean, it's just bursting with creativity, artists, theaters. People might not know what you have here. It's so rich. Bloomington is this town that is housing Indiana University. And Indiana Indiana University houses the Jacob School of Music. And it's produced people like, you know, Joshua Bell and Edgar Meyer and countless countless absolutely wonderful musicians and it set a tone i think probably years and years and years ago for a a performance bar that is higher than you might find in 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 many other small towns in america and i think it drew in people drew in all of these musicians many of them came and stayed and they uh, were inspired not only by all of the other people around them at the university, um, you know, the, the amazing, kind of the amazing professors and, and all the amazing infusions of creativity, but the landscape itself. Southern Indiana is one of the most beautiful places in the country, and it's, it's where the glaciers stopped at Indianapolis the it's very flat until you get about 40 minutes north of us and uh, sorry about 40 minutes south of Indianapolis um, so the glaciers came down 
off of, you know, from the north, flattened everything until you get to Indianapolis. And then the hills begin to roll. So it's these rolling green hills. The whole place is visually lyrical. Um, it's just, it's absolutely teeming with life. It's an extremely fertile place. And it's a stopover for the monarch butterflies. And there are fireflies at night and a million mm. stars in the sky, wildlife everywhere. It has inspired so many painters, so many poets, so many photographers, landscape artists, so many writers, playwrights, and so many, so many um, uh, textile artists. There's so many weavers here. There are, I, I don't even know how to tell you how much art is here because it's everywhere. If you throw a rock anywhere, you will hit an artist in Bloomington and it is a given. It's not. It's not like. It's not like going to some place that calls itself an artist colony, where there's this sort of a, there's this sort of overlay of the air of oh we're all artists. It's not like that. It's like. It's almost like, guitar players are to Nashville, Tennessee. You know, musicians are to Nashville. Yes. Everybody just is. If you live there. Chances are you are a musician of some sort. <laughs> if you live in Bloomington, you are either an artist of some sort or you love the arts and you are supporting. And I, I cannot explain it. I think it's something in the water. But once I landed here, I didn't expect <laughs> to stay. And because of that reason, I, I stayed. It's absolutely home now. Yeah. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Keep creating. Thank you, you too. Have a beautiful day. It happened to the greats. It still happens every day. When lightning strikes, it's the moment you know. The theme song was written by Tom McGovern. This episode was edited by Kyle Moore. And the talent was booked by Anna Strauss. When lightning strikes. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.